So just for a moment before I, before we before we go to the next thing is uh, let's see now. So now we got the uh, the bazooki, the music thing, the 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 study of all of this uh, of of different of different information systems and world music, and then and uh, and then lyric writing, and now a novel. And what I want to know is how all of those things. Uh, do they feed into each other now or is there some kind of way that they inform each other or is there some changing going on from one to the other as a result of the situation and the result of the development in all these areas? Sometimes they feed into each other. Like I had something that if I have something that doesn't work uh, as a lyric, but I'm like, you know what, that would be a really witty passage in a book or, or a story or, or vice versa. Um, and um uh, and sometimes it's good to kind of have different different uh, avenues. Sometimes it's great when the, the two muses are not talking to each other because if I'm frustrated with one, I can try another. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a way to keep, keep me doing things, especially right now during this pandemic, um, just staying active, just doing anything. It's like, okay, it doesn't matter if I write, if I write a dirty limerick or if I write a 3,000 word story, um, it's as long as I'm doing something, uh, hopefully something that I can have to offer for people who are stuck at home and need something to do, yeah. but uh, more selfishly to keep my own mind engaged. Uh, and yes, if it helps uh, keep me gainfully employed and strokes my fragile ego, uh, I'm not complaining about that either. <laughs> at least you're on top of that. It's funny. It's like uh, I... Um well, I, I turns out now I just do podcasts. I've hardly been playing at all. And it's funny, I talked to a few prominent musicians out there because I do a podcast for another uh, friend now, too. And so I was interviewing a woman that's quite a staggering uh, songwriter, country writer from uh, from Nashville yesterday. And, you know, she said she wasn't, she hadn't been doing anything either. You know, it's funny, I came in with all these plans about what I'm going to do for three for the last three weeks. And very little has gone on, except that I seem to put out five podcasts a week all of a sudden. But, you know, I'm happy yeah. with anything for anybody. <laughs> yeah, because for a while I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to curl up in bed, and um, which is not healthy. But um, I think the important thing is to let people know that it's okay not to be okay. And... Uh, I've said many times, maybe I even said it in the last episode, that I feel like that episode in the Twilight Zone where this guy, all he wants to do is just be left alone to read his books. And finally, um, the world is blown to hell and he's the only one who survives. He's like, yes, and then he breaks his glasses. It feels like that. It's like, now I've got all this time to do the writing I've wanted to do. And I just feel like there's lead in my shoes. Um, and... You know, that's that's normal because we're adjusting and like anything, any major upheaval, we adjust different ways at different rates. Um, I, I saw somebody who, you know, got got on, on Facebook and said, there's no excuse you have to get and, you know, you practice, 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 motherfucker. I'm just like, look, dude, it's, it's a, a major accomplishment that I put on pants, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Of course, I want to practice. Of course, I want to get better at my instrument. Of course, I'm glad to have this time, but there's yeah. also a fucking pandemic, and I don't know how to cope. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, and then and then motivations become differently. Listen, I want to I want to particularize to my last comment because I think I I, I left it, I left the, I left the question hanging a funny way. But like you mentioned that 
you're you got interested in style because of writing the novel and that but now you're and now you're into structure and so i guess it would really what it would be the question is if you went back and you could say okay now now i'm dealing with music is are you now more interested in style and structure in music and in lyric writing or since since the music influenced the first novel that much to where you ended up with uh you know with stuff like that so this is really the question that i'm asking is that it is somewhere in there it's more like uh i've got one more uh one more monkey in my circus i got uh, it. yeah it's uh, it it really it really just depends um it's just nice to have an extra outlet uh to do um i just published i just got a notification that some of my poetry has been accepted for an anthology wow it's different yeah it's different <laughs> from a lyric yeah a friend of mine who's a wonderful poet gwendon alexander who's written a wonderful book a couple of collections called um poets are not useful and digging up my bones she helped me with you know it's different you know with with a poem uh, which doesn't necessarily have to have uh meter i mean it can uh but it's more like a snapshot uh you know that writing a story a story has to make sense a poem has to make sense Lyrics do not. <laughs> so there's there's this extra thing, uh, whether it's learning to have more structure when I write uh, fiction, or when I write poetry, that it's it's the it's discipline. It's the mental equivalent of eating my Brussels sprouts or going to the gym. Is like, eh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, but it, it's I'm better off for it. Uh huh. Okay, so. This is all now uh, just because it has ended up being the kind of thing that we've done somewhat um, chronologically. We might as well get 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 where we're going, which would be towards the towards the present. In fact, we just did some stuff on the present, so we don't have to go all the way to hanging around the house. But uh, um, you were at the novel. How long ago was that? That came out uh, in 2016. Uh, before that, I'd published uh, a slew of uh, short stories for um, some anthologies. Uh, some of the early stuff, I'm like, oh, God, you know, because in the early days, um, I I wrote, let's see, how it's, it's like, a, it, it was like I love to read myself right the way that some people love to, to hear themselves talk, mm -hmm. uh, which is a way, something that I used to only accuse music writers of. <laughs> it's... Uh, but um, so it was. It my early works were um, very self-indulgent uh, and unfocused, and like anything, it's it's about getting better. And then I started to find uh, a better narrative, um, and I found that some of my mo more successful ones had a little bit of humorous spin on it. I think my first really successful one was in a an anthology where all of a sudden I got to sit with the cool kids table and, and with some big name authors. Uh, and it was called, it was an alternative Sherlock Holmes, uh, book. Um, I love and, uh, yeah, it was called Baker street irregulars where Sherlock Holmes can be anything except a white male from London. He can be from the past. He can move from the future. He can be female. He can be a space alien, whatever. But, um, so I made mine a parrot. <laughs> and that's where I started to find that I, I was starting to have my best success with a, with a humorous story because like the real Sherlock, for one thing, I went back and started to read a lot of the Arthur Conan Doyle yeah. uh, books. And Sherlock, of course, like any protagonist, um, has major character flaws. He had vices. Yeah. Uh, my, my Sherlock 
had uh, the huge setback is because she's a parrot. She's an African gray. And because she's a parrot, she's, she's always thinking, but she can only say, she, she can't say anything that she hasn't already heard. Well, so she can, she can be formulating a, a, a solution, but she can't actually say, uh, convey to the humans something that she hasn't already heard. Uh, so, you know, there are ways to, um, yeah, with Watson, for instance, like she's trying to say that there's, you know, to go test the DNA on this evidence. And, you know, she, she's Watson, Watson, crick, Watson, crick, Watson, you know, and, and so I was like, oh, DNA. So Watson is kind of the mumbling clueless guy. Um, and, um, you know, Sherlock is the only one who knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because she's a parrot, she's, she's also got her little vices and she's got a little bit of that demon lover syndrome that parrots can be really affectionate or they can be absolute bastards. Um, I'm just glad it's something that Benedict Cumberbatch can't play, which would be great. You know, give him time. Give him time. (laughs) You know, in time it's, it's, if, if I'm going to offer this Benedict, if you are tuning in, I challenge you to grow some fucking feathers, man. (laughs) You know, he he's going to he he's going to sit on a perch, you know, eat sunflower seeds and shit on the floor for six weeks until he gets it right. <laughs> Killer. Um, so okay, so that's 2016. We're 2020. You only got four years to fill in. What did you you? It seems like you went back to doing a lot of music, or you were doing it the whole time along the way. I I went through a phase um, around. Um, let me see. It was around 2014. Um, my various circumstances were making it harder and harder and harder for me in new orleans um i was depressed i wanted to just sleep 18 hours a day um there was just i I had no relief um things were just getting unbearable and around that time my grandmother um who lived in starkville mississippi um who was 105 um still very much with it um and uh, and you know, I only saw her uh, a little for for once in a blue moon. I would call on a regular basis, and it was my mother who said, "Saw that I was absolutely splitting at the seams. I was I was seriously about to crack." And my mom said, "Why don't you go stay with her for a little while?" Um, and so I did. I went and moved some stuff into her house, and got away from New Orleans, and spent the last two months of of her life with her. And she told me some amazing stories. Um, telling me i think part of my idea for my sherlock story is that my my parrot of course parrots live longer than humans her previous owner had been a telegrapher and that came from my grandmother uh telling me about uh my great great aunt who had been a telegrapher and uh, she taught my uncle morse code and they used to send each other messages at the dinner table and that got me going for uh because my parrot, uh, my, my, my Sherlock is obsessed with cracking codes. The, the title is called Code Cracker. Wow. Uh, and, uh, but she told me some amazing stories about um, being in New York in the 30s. I mean, the depression was going on, but they didn't feel it as, as badly as the rest of the world did. She had been a runway model um, before she got actively um, involved in the Girl Scouts. Um, my favorite story that she told me, uh, she was telling me about going to... Uh, see Toscanini uh, conduct his final two performances. And, uh, and I said, did you ever meet Toscanini? And she said, no, but she knew his right-hand man. 
uh, a guy named Ernest Bloch, uh, who was a string composer. Ernest Bloch, yeah, sure, he's a great composer. Yeah. And so he had a daughter named Catherine Block, who was roughly my grandmother's age, who lived one floor above her. My, they were in, in Manhattan because my grandfather had gotten a, a teaching job at Columbia and uh, was the first person to introduce uh, the writing of William Faulkner uh, to the North. And um, so you know, right above them... A lot of people I interview have very deep connections to Columbia University for mysterious reasons, but carry on. This is Yeah, of- yeah. So, so Catherine and her husband lived one floor above uh, my, grand, my, my grandparents, and uh, Catherine was a musician herself. Uh, she played a lot of early music. Uh, she would come out in these long gowns and play a lot of things like on the harpsichord and the virginal. And um, her husband got offered a teaching job um, as the head of the math department at Princeton. So he was no slouch. And she got offered uh, a job conducting the Princeton Symphony, which I thought was really interesting because even today, female conductors are pretty unusual. But, uh, yeah. but she said, okay, I'll take it. So they went out to Princeton. They started to move out. Well, she came back, um, uh, back to Manhattan to collect some things collect some of her clothes and she started confiding in my grandmother. She said, I don't know what to do. She said, one of our violinists is Albert Einstein and he can't count. (laughs) And my grandmother said, but he's Einstein. She said, I know. How do you tell Albert Einstein that this bar only has four beats to it? (laughs) But apparently relativity was not limited to um, his scientific theories. Like he really, he, he was great with relativity, but he couldn't count for shit. Yes, yeah, so but he probably felt it was timey, timey and spacey, or you know, timey, yeah, timeish. <laughs> and I was like, I can, I can kind of relate to this because uh, sight reading, for all that I've had to do it, uh, because I have a degree in music and I was an oboe major, you know, it, it's, you know, of course I had to do it, but it's not my strong point. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Reading is tough for me too, and I've I, I, I learned that I started dealing with it late in life. Well, I guess I got it on the cello when I was younger, but not to a enough of a thing to where it's i know what everything is but really functionally reading is difficult for me um so good well i'm glad you got back out of the depression that way and then uh and then and then now we're, we're somewhat here i guess have you've released yeah. a record since that since that period uh, no but i've i've released one rec one single at a time and until this this uh crazy pandemic uh hit i was all set to release a collection of all the singles that I had done um, since then. I was actually in the middle of filling out paperwork to immigrate to Australia really? in 2016. Yeah, because I had done two tours, one lasting four months, one lasting, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, one lasting six weeks. Oh, yeah, and the other one lasting four months. And I was just like, fuck a bunch of this. I'm out of here. Uh, I, You know, there's nothing left for me. I'm going to go to Australia and I'm going to start new. And a certain Mr. Josh Paxton convinced me to come back to New Orleans. Oh, wonderful. That's pretty good and, uh, and uh, pretty cool. And um, so the singles, you were releasing them how? Uh, I'm going to release them as a collection. I mean, they're already out there in digital form individually. Uh, like on your my website band or something? Band yeah, camp. I have a Bandcamp site. It's uh. bethpatterson.bandcamp.com. So you can see all these. My last one. Uh, was uh, a cover of um, of the Rush song "Red Lenses," mm-hmm. and uh, my friend Randy Michaud, who who uh, owns Stone Groove Records, uh, which is with whom I'm currently signed, 
he said, you know, if you're going to do this, he said, I really, really, really want you to do a Rush cover, which terrified me because, of course, that's my favorite band. Um, and uh, I said, there is no way that I'm going to be able to do this Rush, do a Rush cover unless I can do something that makes it completely different. I'd noticed that when, on a whim, I'd recorded on a gig um, uh, a cover of an Iron Maiden song, and I just decided just to slow it down to ballad tempo and sing it like a slow, beautiful ballad, and it got almost 300,000 views on on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, which was crazy to me. Um, and so I thought, well, that's that's the thing with, with covering songs is there's no point in trying to replicate them. You know, you have to kind of make them your own. So I enlisted the help of Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes because this one song called Red Lenses, which uh, had some some serious 1984 synth sounds and, you know, drum sounds going on there. and, and um, But it had this groove to it. I was like, I need a horn section behind this. So uh, luckily they, they said they would be happy to do it. And I got them in just in time before, you know, we all had to social distance. The last time I saw like, that many people in one room was with Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's like to have it with trumpet and barry sax and tenor sax um, was was just a blast. And some of the Rush purists are like, you know, in the same way that they're kind of like, you're not my mom. It's like, we want Neil. I'm like, I'm sorry, but my seance uh, <laughs> yeah. was a totally ineffective cupcake. And, and I said, I said, it was my call. I said, is Andre Barron said, you know, well, I could do it, you know, try to keep it like Neil. And I thought, you know, I could, I know a number of, of people um, who are drummers who are major Rush fans who could go in and do it true to the record and make it work very well. But what I wanted was to incorporate all of them, you know, the, the unit that they were as Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes, because that's what works. Uh-huh. And so I said, I made the decision. I said, I don't want you to play like Neil. I want you to play like you. Uh-huh. Great. Wonderful. And, wow. Yeah. And so is there some direction that you're, uh, you're aiming to go now? You got some other, uh, other incredible uh, adventures you're trying to integrate. What are you trying to get to? Uh, F? Well, considering if, if we ever get out of quarantine or, if, you know, if we ever get out. Of right. Well, I was, I was hoping to release this, um, uh, I was hoping to release this this singles album this year, which of course would involve um, things like postal workers, and you know, because I wanted to at least have have 300 physical copies. That might not happen anytime soon. I also need for it to get mastered because uh, it's been recorded in at least three different places. These singles Uh-oh. over the course, uh-huh. yeah, you know. So I wanted to take it to a fourth mastering engineer um, to kind of level the playing field. Um, and I actually need to, to drop him a line to see how the hell he's doing. So that's going to have to wait. And, um, until I get my gigs back, I can't be investing a bunch of money, uh, on a record that, uh, I can't send out anyway. So, but at least everything is recorded. Everything's done. I just need to master it. Um, all the licensing is paid for, uh, for the things that I did do covers of, um, and uh, so it's just a matter of duplicating it. So, uh, and in the meantime, I'm thinking of doing a little EP of just stuff that I've written out of frustration. Some of it is uh, is some are some snarky songs about staying home. You know, there's one called "I Love Your Ass," and you know, it turns out that it's a love letter from your chair. That's great. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, 
you know, then, then there's one that's more guilt geared toward children. You know, if you want to save the world, wash your hands. If you want to save the world, wash your hands. Where there's nothing to inspire, it's like a really nasty virus. If you want to save the world, wash your hands. Yeah. Uh, Great. And, uh, and, and so it's like I've, I've got some ranging from the lighthearted to one that's kind of an angry song about some of the people that I dealt with before the, before the lockdown, uh, people who had complete disregard for people's personal space. Uh, one guy who just said, well, you know, if, if, uh, if it's my time, we all have to go sometime. So if it's my time, then that's when God wants me to come home. I'm like, yeah. if, if God wants you to come home, then what about these other people that you're infecting in the meantime? Yeah. So, you know, it just, it just, you know, it was a way of me trying to put it all into words without coming across as too angry. You know, it's a way of saying, I'm just saying yeah. <laughs> uh, about how um, basically uh, we're going to have to return to our caves and rediscover fire. Yeah. Something that looks like it's going that direction or at least some, some, some things are going to get back to basics, but we'll see if it lasts. Yeah. And, I can I can probably record it um, with a friend, um, but you know now all of a sudden I'm thinking of the things that I can't have because you know the cravings. Uh, in this case, I was like, it would be really great if I could also get Lynn Drury and Gina Forsyth on this particular one. You know, right. it's just like, uh -huh. and knowing that I can't, I'm like, I don't want Lynn and Gina. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm lucky that I am quarantined uh, with. Uh, a wonderful musician with a sense of humor who's sweet and kind to me every day. And we're, we have a bunch of ideas for us to stay amused and hopefully amuse other people in the meantime. That's great. Josh Paxton. Well, you know, hopefully I'll get to him. As I said earlier, at some point, listen, I can let you go. I think we got, we got, we got a really good bunch of stuff with you. And in case, unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about. Uh, can't think of, of anything. Okay. I think that the last moment of Beavis and Butthead was like, any final words? You two is like, oh, yeah, boobs. 